Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Bart Higgins here on this sunny, albeit chilly April morning, starting episode 33, I believe, of A Thousand Tiny Steps, season four. I suppose I don't need to share the episode number every time I start, but it's sort of, it's sort of how I start the podcast now. It's like a routine for me. It also keeps me on track. I have to listen and re-listen to the ones I've recorded before so, so that I'm not repetitive. I oftentimes have a plan. I have a whole list in front of me here of each episode and what it will be about. And as always, with my writing, with everything I do, with my coaching, with my teaching, I, I just function on intuition. And sometimes what I plan to say isn't what's inside of my head or my heart or my tummy. And that was how it was with episode 32, which is going to sort of introduce the season. And it does, but it was Molly's birthday. And it was really all about the grief and raising a baby with grief. What I hope to accomplish today is to just share a little bit about what our day-to-day life is like. I don't think I really get into that too much. The nuts and bolts of being a mother at 58, but also sort of a continuation of just societal attitudes, how they're different now than they were with Gracie and Molly, the things I focus on that are different just because of my circumstances and what that means for Jack. In general, I think Jack will always be well-received and loved for himself. He's such a sweet baby. And I feel that whatever opinions people have about me and me having a baby at this age won't be reflected or put onto him. At least I hope not <laughs> because he didn't ask to be born, right? Here he is, sweet little Jack, Jack, attack, Jack. Jingle, jingle, gee. I'm a bit better put together than I was in the last episode. I cried quite a bit. That's just how it is. You know, when you've lost a child or two and you're struggling to live a life that isn't designed for you, it's very, very easy to get very lost in it. Episode 33, introduction to real-time review of Jack. I often said in, in many interviews that I've had a lot of TV interviews and such that having a baby at this age makes a lot more sense because you're done with everything else. So in your 20s, you're partying and you're young and you still really care what your body looks like because other people care or you compare yourselves. And then in your 30s, you've fallen in love, perhaps, gotten married, you've started your career and you just bought a house. So all of that stuff is crucial. You're paying a big mortgage. You are establishing credit. You're saving for retirement. You're choosing a preschool. You want to get on the waiting list for the best places, all of those things. Then your 40s come. And for most people, you've settled a bit into parenthood. You don't care so much about your body anymore because it's a losing battle. Developed a routine. Your kids are in school and all their activities. Then in your 50s, they've gone to college and now I'm sort of empty nest syndrome. Well, that's a fine way to do it, actually. But how, when I look at Jack, and if there were no other children in my life and he was my first child, right now, the mortgage is paid and not much to my choice. I no longer have a full-time teaching position and I have a lot of time and Kenny's retired. And our day-to-day life is so much easier than it was when Molly and Gracie were born. I've partied in my 20s. I got my job and bought the house in my 30s. I did all the things in the 40s, the activities and all this kind of stuff, like traveled. I did all sorts of things. And then now in my 50s, I have time to focus on a baby. There are many, many reasons why having a baby now is fun. I spend a lot of time 
on in a different way than it was with Gracie and Molly. That was fun too. I spend a lot of time on Facebook and Instagram looking at my friends and their grandchildren, and they have these amazing weeks with Gigi and Papa or Gammy and Gampa or Nana and Grampy, whatever they call them. You know, these people love their grandchildren. They dote on them and they just, they just enjoy them in a way that they couldn't enjoy their own kids because they were responsible for everything. So there are times when I sort of feel like I gave birth to my old grandchild. Now, he's my child, so I have all of that innate, protective, fierce sort of attachment to Jack that any mother has or any mother should have. And so that does make it a bit different, but there are certain things that I am not as afraid of or stressed out about as I was first time around. So here are some things that I noticed, and I'll, I have a little list of things I'll talk to here. So in terms of day-to-day life, what I notice, so I go to that wonderful CrossFit class called Mom Strong, and of course, I'm old enough to be all the mom's mom. You know, most of these women are in their late 20s and early 30s, so I could easily be their parents, and they're such good mothers. Oh my gosh, and the mothers that come in with, it, with their kids who are a little bit older, they're like four and five now, or three and five, or four and six. You know, you can see they're five or six years into it now, so they're not quite as wigged out about everything, but we have a couple of them. Um, moms who have just had their babies and they're, it's their first babies and they're so everything. Oh my gosh. Like every little thing. I just enjoy watching because I remember what it was like to feel that way. Now, of course I'm protective with Jack, but I've lived 20 years. I've raised two children. I've been involved in the upbringing and education of hundreds of children over the years. And so I know how it turns out in a firsthand way. And I know that lots of things I worried about didn't matter. I mean, it was good that I worried, but and then, of course, on the converse side, I did everything right with Molly and she died anyway. You know, so it, it's like, so I have this attitude with Jack. Like, I'm not overly concerned about things. Like, if he cries, well, I can look at him and look, let him cry for a bit. He's going to be okay. Sometimes he stops. And I watch these other moms and dads and the minute their baby whimpers, boom, they're right on it. And they're pushing the carriage around and they're picking them right up. You know, in a 40-minute workout or a 20-minute workout has 16 interruptions with their new baby. It's their new baby and the new baby's getting used to the CrossFit gym and the noise and all this. So this isn't a criticism at all, but I get a bit of a chuckle out of it because I remember that. I remember how nervous I was about that. Lots of new moms put the little headphones on their babies so the loud music won't, won't bother them. I don't think the music is loud enough or frequent enough that it would really hurt Jack Jack's ears and he doesn't seem bothered by it. But that's just something that I think as an older mother, I'm not overly concerned about. I don't know, maybe I should be. All you headphone advocate, <laughs> let me have it if you want. But I do notice that just little things that used to sort of put me over the edge, worry-wise, don't anymore. Now, I wake up in the night with my nightmares and bad dreams of things happening to Jack, but I think that's, that's on a different, more cerebral level. Something else I notice is that I don't have, and this might go back to having lost Molly between Jack and Gracie and Molly, as opposed to my age, but, you know, the future is such a different thing now. So when I was in my 30s having Gracie and Molly, I still felt on the beginning side of life. I had crossed over to like, I have less time in front of me than I have behind me. At 33, I knew I'd live to 66. And at 38, you know, 40, I knew we'd live to 80. I was still going into the halfway mark, not leaving it behind. If the mile is a four lap race and I'm going to live to be 100, I'm in lap three. And so it makes the future a bit different for me. So in some ways, I choose not to worry about it. All the worrying in the world won't change a thing. And all the planning in the world won't change a thing. I've mentioned before, due to Kenny's age and, and Jack being a baby, he, he, you know, he gets monthly social security from the government that's being invested and he'll have a good college account or well, he'll have a college account and just a regular account. You know, all of those things. I've cared for Gracie and made sure that her financial situation is fine when Kenny and I are gone. So things like that, I'm much better at. I had college accounts for Gracie and Molly. And when I lost my job, I had to liquidate them to pay bills. It was a very, very sad day for me. I don't plan on having to do that with Jack. When I think back to 
Gracie being 20, you know, she's going to turn 21 in a couple of weeks. This is how I am. This is how I pictured myself, a very fit in my 50s mom. I know that when Jack turns 21, I will be at the end of my 70s, you know, approaching 80. So I look at people of this age now. I really, really, really research and look at people that are young and fit in their late 70s, early 80s. It's much more important to me now than it was in my late 30s to be healthy. I'm off all prescription meds other than a little bit for my mouth when I need it and asthma medicine, of course. I am big advocate now of supplements. I drink a ton of water, cut way back on the alcohol, all of that, because these things are much more important to me in terms of longevity. I come from a family, my mother and my biological father's sides live well into their 90s, not always healthy into their 90s. Now, my biological dad was a stay-at-home dad to Eleanor in his 80s, and he did a phenomenal job. I don't think Eleanor looks back on her early childhood and, and middle childhood years before losing her dad and remembers, oh my God, he was this elderly old man. That was her dad. That was what she knew. They had a wonderful time. Tom and, and Eleanor were fine. I take great comfort in that because by the time I'm in my 80s, <laughs> I won't have a newborn at 84 like Tom did. It'll be very, very different. And I am appreciative of that. I like that I have these genetics. That's a bit different. Being a mom at 58, contemplating the future, what will I look like at Jack's graduation? Will I embarrass him? I don't think I'll embarrass him because when, he, when he's 18 and graduating high school, he's got 18 years of me being his mother. I am who I am. And you know, I'll, I'll work hard to be as healthy as possible. Day-to-day -day life. Those are some of the internal things that are different for me, for me personally. Day-to-day -day life is a bit different now. When Gracie was born and then Molly, you know, obviously was, Kenny and I were second marriage for each of us. Kenny's kids were in middle school and high school at that time. So financially, we were still providing financial support for his children, which is the right thing to do. We were paying a mortgage. He had a business that was struggling. I was teaching and coaching. So our professional life and our income was paramount, tantamount to the survival of our family and having a place for Molly and Gracie to live. I had my babies in the spring and as a school teacher, you have summers off. So both of my maternity leaves brought me to summer vacation and then I had summer. So I had April, May, June, you know, four months of 100% maternity leave and with both Gracie and Molly, I went back only half time. Gracie's first year of life, you know, and then into her second, I was half time. So I could work a few hours, come home, nurse, be with them, then go coach. And then the same with Molly, I did half time. The year after she was born, I went, I split the job. So that was super helpful because, you know, I taught at Walker School, which was like a two minute drive from my house. So if there was an issue, I could come right home. And if my mom ran out of milk, I could come right home. I was a full-time worker at that time. Kenny as well. So we did the family bed. So in the morning, you know, it was the four of us. Kenny would get up first and he would shower and make the coffee and do all of these things first. And then I would stay in bed and nurse and, and sort of like that. And then I would get up and make Gracie and Molly were late sleepers. It was really, really easy and helpful. We had the bed rails and the bed was low. And so I had to get up and jump in the shower. I would pump milk for my mom to use that day, get all ready and go to school. Sometimes I would leave for school and Molly and Gracie hadn't even woken up yet. My mother would arrive at about 7.15. She would head upstairs if they were still asleep, if they were awake. Typically we were still upstairs because I would put the TV on, Curious George and Clifford. And when they were big enough to sit, and maybe have baby food or, or a bubba, you know, with puffs and nibble on things. We would do that upstairs. It was just all upstairs. They woke up in a very, very relaxed way. But Kenny and I didn't. And then we were gone. I was gone from 7.30 in the morning until 6 o'clock at night, five days a week. I didn't give up any of my coaching. I taught all day and I coached after school, cross-country, indoor and outdoor track. Now, my mother was wonderful. And she would bring the girls up in their, their double stroller sometimes. 
when I did track camp, she'd show up. Oftentimes, Gracie and Molly, Kenny would do that as well, bring them to things, track meets and all this. But day to day, 50 hours a week, I wasn't with Gracie and Molly. My mother was. Kenny was that way even more so because, you know, a nighttime interaction was me, even though he was there in bed, it was me. I was the one nursing and waking up and that sort of thing. This experience is very different. I think it's the most challenging in a good way for Kenny. Kenny, as I said before, is a wonderful, wonderful dad. He was always in charge of Molly and Gracie's bath time. He was in on weekends. He was with them as much as he could be. Oftentimes I had track meets and things. He, he has never balked at being with kids. I remember canoeing once with um, my family and Kenny was, and I were first together. And Kelsey, my niece, was maybe six or seven. And all the adults are sitting and chatting and she's sitting down by the river. And Kenny went down and built a sandcastle with her. Like he went and sat with Kelsey. He's just drawn to kids and he's good with them. So that part of him being a dad to Jack is just as good as it's ever been. He's a wonderful dad. He's loving and he develops little routines and interactions. What's hard for Kenny is what it really means to be in charge of Jack. With all of his kids, with his three adult children, with Gracie and Molly, he was gone. He worked. He wasn't in charge of any of that day-to-day mundane sort of little things to take care of kids. So what I noticed with Kenny is I'll say, okay, it's a Kenny day. And he doesn't think, oh, it's my day tomorrow. I better get up early. I better make all the bubbles and pack the bags and make sure the diapers are ready. And I mentioned that in my other podcast. He doesn't always get that a lot of preparation goes into what he just assumes is ready for him. This morning, I actually made a point last night to say, look, you have to do this in the morning. I can't. If I've had a rough night, I'm the one that needs to lie in bed with Jack. I can't have you watch TV and drink your coffee. And then I have to get up and do it all. And he was wonderful. He got the frozen milk out, clarified, made the lunch, packed the bag, got the clothes, did all of it. This is new for Kenny. My mother did all this. And then the other piece that's new for Kenny, and I'll talk about me in a minute, when we're here in the house together and I'll say, look, you need to watch him. And I'll be doing something and suddenly Jack is in my feet. I'm going to step on him and he's in my feet. And I'm like, Kenny, <laughs> come get him. Why is he out here? Well, he went out. No, if you're watching him, I sometimes pick him up and bring him back and plop him in Kenny's lap. And he looks at me all confused. And I'll say, you need to be watching him. I'm doing this now. You're in charge. That's just different. That's not poor parenting. That's not anything except an aspect of their life that he hasn't had to do before. My mother read and read and read to the girls. And so this morning, again, that was something I never had hours and hours with Gracie and Molly. Our weekends were busy and we were outside. It was just different. But Jack, Jack, he has these books and He's understanding that each page has a story and they're wooden books so you can chew on them. And some of them, you can pull the slides up and, you know, where's Susie? Here she is. And you pull up a little thing and there's a picture of a little girl. He's starting to get into that. Got to read the same book 15 times. Sometimes Kenny will be like, well, I just read it to him. Yeah, five more times and then he'll pick another one. So these are the things that my mother really did and took care of. These are the things that day-to-day mundane sort of childcare that is all the time in your head has to come first is new for Kenny. It's not new for me because as the mother, I've always been the one that did all the preparations, all the preparing, the getting ready of everything, the organizing, the doctor's appointments, the dentist appointments. I still do all of that. And in my frustrated moments when I feel like I shouldn't have to wash the dishes ever because I do, I do all the insurance and everything else. Let's balance the tasks. We struggle with that right now, but I think parents struggle with those things. So those things for me aren't so different. As I talk about this, my little scar gets all tight. My little stress brain tumor scar. So that's me and Kenny. Am I a better mother now? I don't think so. I think I'm a different mother. I don't think better is a fair assessment. What makes a good mother? My podcast editor is wonderful at providing me all sorts of resources to read. And and I'm reading and looking at podcasts and articles and YouTube shows about mothering and how different it is from country to country, generation to generation, now versus then. So many things are different for Jack. He's not being raised by a millennial or 
a Gen Zer. He's being raised by not quite a boomer, you know, and a total boomer, you know, and so we should be his grandparents in terms of the generation. So he has the age issue. He's growing up in a time period that doesn't match the age of his parents. All of that is just different. You can't say one is better than the other. The decisions I made for Gracie and Molly were the good decisions that, you know, 20 years ago in the early 2000s. Now we're in the 20s and we'll see what happens now. So that's interesting. So my mother, Johanna, my father, my family, Jonathan and Lalan, Kathy and Rick, Johanna, my family, my immediate family, are all supportive and in love with Jack. We are also all very busy. Kathy and Ricky now live in North Carolina. Jonathan and Lalan, you know, still live in Plymouth where they've lived for years and years. So do we see each other all the time? Absolutely not. But the support around Jack is incredible with them. Johanna has a much busier life now than she did then. She lived with us, actually lived here for much of Molly and Gracie's childhood, in and out a couple of times. So she was here all the time, went to Johanna's room, which was, you know, where Gracie and Molly ended up moving after. And, you know, she was a huge piece of their life. She was childcare for them sometimes. She has not gotten that close to Jack yet, but it's not because she doesn't want to. She has a very busy life and she isn't always available to come by. And when she comes by, it is a love affair that is heartwarming. She loves her Jack Jack. He loves his auntie Johanna. She brings him presents and she just comes and she just really gets it. She's right in his, right in his realm, just like she was with Gracie and Molly. She's a wonderful, wonderful auntie. My mom comes every day. She comes every day to see Jack. She is suffering from some health issues that when I, I actually, when I look at my mom, I take great care to learn about and do everything I can to prevent certain things. And I, I realize genetics is genetics, but when I look at my mother at my age, at 58, turning 59, that was when I was having, I had just had Gracie and I was pregnant with Molly. And she was unbelievably fit and healthy then, but nowhere near where I am. I am a much younger, 58, almost 59 than my mother was. And my mother was very young for her age and her generation. She was very busy at that time. You know, she worked at cardiac rehab at the hospital. She, you know, actively hiking and skiing and doing all these things. I will say when my mother was 59, she couldn't put 110 pounds over her head couldn't do some of the things I do in the gym. So that gives me a measure of comfort and relief knowing that I've bought some time. But my mother and Jack have a wonderful bond and she still has that ability to come and sit. The other day she came for three hours. He didn't have a bubble for three hours. He didn't fuss, he didn't cry. He just played with his nanny and she'll just be in the moment with him and just do what he needs to do. My dad comes to visit. He's very similar to how he was with Gracie and Molly. We don't have that super close family where they're together all the time. Like my mother comes by because she's in here. My dad lives a very sort of solitary life. And so he has seen Jack several times. When he sees Jack, Jack loves him and hugs him and he, they interact. That relationship is very, very similar. They also lived within walking distance when Molly and Gracie were little. And right now they're a few miles away. I'm, I'm working on changing that so they can be close and be in town and be able to walk. I would say my mother... Well, my mother probably wouldn't be super comfortable being alone with him for a long, long time just because she feels not healthy and strong enough right now to be alone with Jack for an extended period of time. I believe that she will have an incredible relationship. My mother has 10 years anyway, if not more, on this planet. I think she'll live well into her 90s. And I think Jack Jack will have a Grammy for a long time. That's another sort of interesting piece. Quick side note on the grandparent piece. So Kenny and I are grandparent age, which means if Gracie had a baby, then my mother would be the great-grandmother. Now, I had great-grandparents for a long time. I had great-grandparents until I was seven. My Nana Quimby died when I was seven. My generation is much older, so Kenny's mother is still alive, and she is a great-grandmother. Some of Kenny's nieces and nephews have children, and so Grammy Babe is a great-grandmother. If Gracie were to have a baby anytime soon, that would be a great-grandparent. So Jack, with his 58 and 66 currently aged parents, has a grandmother who's 80, 
a grandfather who's 80, just about, and a grandmother who's 95. So he has grandparents. He has aunts and uncles. He has cousins. He has siblings. He has relatives of all ages. His next oldest sibling is Gracie, and then he's got Katie, Davey, and Kenny, who are in their 30s. Kenny's kids, in terms of Gracie and Molly, Katie spent the most time here. She had a bedroom here. She was in middle school and high school. We provided a lot of support for her. Davey sort of had his own life. He spent most of his time. They lived with their mother, but it was all right here in Concord. And so we saw Davey and Katie. That We saw them minimally on holidays. It was always a visit and exchange of gifts and things like this. And Katie often came to their birthday parties. And Katie made an effort to be as, as involved as she could. And then I was coaching and teaching at the high school when she was there, or coaching at the high school. She ran cross country and track, and we had this interaction that was fairly consistent. Kenny has brought baby Jack-Jack up to see little Kenny, his son. He lives about an hour away, and they've had several visits. And boy, is that a connection that's wonderful. They play together. Again, it's that you're not with a child all the time. You have the ability to just sit and be with a child because it's not something that you do all the time. Jack-Jack has not met Katie, nor has he spent much time with Davy. And, you know, this is where families come in. I think Jack's birth was very difficult for that side of his family, well, for his children and, and their mother. They're very, very critical and it's just difficult. As Jack's mother, I don't think Jack deserves or needs that kind of negativity in his life. I want family unity more than anything. The reason I'm being honest about this in the podcast is two things. One, to acknowledge that we all have the right to feel the way that we feel and to also say that you have one family and aside from abuse or neglect or something that's dangerous, I believe personal opinion should be set aside. Jack-Jack is here. He has a nice relationship with Gracie. Of course, Gracie's at Disney right now. So he's essentially an only child. And that was the motivation for me behind having Molly so that Gracie would be an only child. I know that they have their adult siblings, but that's not a day-to-day part of your life. Any of you listening that have those big age gaps in your family or blended families, you understand what I'm talking about. You can have siblings that you never, ever see. So who are the other people in Jack's life? Well, I will say Jack has a million aunties online. I think his closest Never met, but loves a lot relative would be Brandy. And Brandy is Jack's mother. Jack, who I named little Jack after. We talk all the time. I send pictures. She calls my Facebook. Anything that's going on, I share with her. She's a wonderful, wonderful support and loves. And I can't wait until she can meet Jack. <laughs> I know. I think Gracie and I always talk about flying up and surprising her. But anyway, all of my grief friends, their aunties. So Auntie Tammy and Auntie Sonia and Auntie Kathy and all the aunties that he has, all the grief moms are a huge piece of support for me. And as Jack gets older, he has a bigger understanding of his, you know, wider range of people he'll appreciate and, and love. And I feel like on a spiritual level, they're looking out for him. In terms of Concord, anyone that knows us, Gracie's friends, she's, you know, she has an early childhood degree. So she, a lot of her friends were early childhood and majors. He has uh, so many people whose names I'll begin with Kay, Kaylee, Kayla, Kaylin. They all love Jack. And if I were to reach out, Gracie's friend, Erin, you know, if I were to reach out to any of these people, they would be right here to support and babysit and all of that. And then of course the hungers. So Rachel's family, the hungers and the Banzoffs are connected forever. A couple of days a week, Jack goes childcare center. This is a huge difference between Gracie and Molly's early childhood experience and Jack's. So in the beginning for Gracie and Molly, they just were here. Gracie's first year of her life, it was nanny all day, camp nanny, 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 nanny. My mother took her to things, little music classes, little movement classes. You know, she took her to a lot of activities. So Gracie wasn't just isolated. When they got a bit bigger, they had swim lessons. When Molly came along, they did the same thing. My mother just took them to things and they had each other. Their first experience outside the home, away from their parents, was preschool when they were three. 
you know, they both turned three in April and went the following fall. So three and a half, really. It was terrifying for Gracie. She had a really hard time. She shook and trembled. She didn't talk. She was a bit developmentally delayed. She didn't say a word. <laughs> she sat on Patty's lap. Patty loves you, Mama. Patty loves you. That's what she would say to me because Patty would say that to Gracie. Molly couldn't wait to go and loved every minute of it and never wanted to come home. But they never had the childcare experience. Their childcare was here with my mother. So was it childcare? Yes, but it was family. And it was in their house, their toys, in their yard and all of that. So that's a bit different. What do I like about childcare for Jack? Well, he has older parents. Granted, Jen's older as well, not as old as me, but you know, in her 40s. But the childcare workers there, a lot of them are young. He's surrounded by other babies and he's surrounded by toddlers and he's getting a look at what it is to be a kid. It's not just him. I don't have a big social group right now. That's also very different. When I was in my late 30s and having kids, all my friends were having kids. Some of them were a little bit older, some were younger. So there was always somebody else having a baby. I lived in a neighborhood full of babies. Rosie and Lucy up the street, or they were all within two years of one another, three years maybe, but they all were right there the same age. Then we had other neighbors move in with kids the same age. Some of those kids are still in high school. You know, we had this neighborhood full of kids. It was all sort of right here. And then once school started, once they were in school, of course, there's all of that. So I think when Jack actually goes to more of an educational setting, that, that our social group will expand. I know that Jack will dance and do some little sports and activities and things, and I think I'll meet people there. Here's another thing that's different. There's this app called Peanut, and it's a way to meet other mothers and you type in your information and what you want. I haven't spent a lot of time on it yet, but I really feel like I could potentially find other moms that wouldn't mind hanging out with the old lady mom. You know, and the weather's getting nice. I didn't take Jack to the park much last year, but I think I will this year. I think I'll take him out and about a bit more so he can have a broader range of experience. So Jack's day-to-day life now. Jack wakes up just like Molly and Gracie woke up in his own bed with his mom. Kenny's getting better at getting down here ahead of that, but we all sort of wake up and we wake up. Kenny has no outside of the home responsibilities whatsoever. Other than his health, he doesn't have anything he has to do. I have to remind him of this sometimes. So he really is able mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically to focus all of his attention on Jack and provide that kind of support. He does. He's the transportation to childcare. He does a lot of those things. Mondays and Fridays, Jack goes to childcare. And that's what he does. And he's there all day. We call it big boy school. And on those days, I try really hard to get a lot of work done. I'm as busy as ever, but I'm busy in my house. I'm recording this podcast in my home. I have the door locked and the sign on the door, so I'm not bothered. But, but I'm not away. I'm not in a building where if I had to leave to go get Jack, it would be an issue and I have to find a sub and it's all of this. I don't have a job like that. I coach CrossFit classes, but again, that's only a few hours a week and it's really in my control. I choose what I want to coach. Am I as busy as ever? Yes. Is it healthy? Not all the time. I continue to have a very difficult time slowing down. My spiritual mentor would say I'm making that choice and perhaps I am. But if I'm making the choice, then there's something driving the choice that I've yet to address or that I'm still working on. I do try to keep my mind as occupied as possible. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we drive to CrossFit Amesbury. We do Monstrong. We walk around that beautiful town. We visit Coach B and we go to the coffee shop. I never had this kind of time with Gracie and Molly in a work week. In the summer, sure, summer vacation. So part of me feels a bit like I'm in this perpetual summer break from a full-time teaching job. I remember always wondering how I had time to teach. (laughs) My summers were so busy. How did I fit teaching into, into summer? You know, and then teaching would come and everything else would stop. So it made sense. So part of me feels a bit like that. Like I'm just on this perpetual sort of all day, all year long summer vacation. Two other things come to mind in terms of day-to-day life for Jack. I nursed Gracie and Molly, and I had no trouble producing milk. I produced milk like crazy. And if I didn't nurse, 
for a while, I became engorged pretty quickly. I have never not had milk available for Jack when he puts his mouth to me. When he starts to nurse, milk comes and he gulps and gulps and gulps and drinks until he's full. I do notice that I have not had the success with pumping that I had with Gracie and Molly. And I think that's two, two factors played in there. I think some of it is stress. I had an incredible amount of stress in the few months after Jack was born. Some really, really intense emotional stress. You know, a lot of really hard to deal with Roy stress. I was a bit, I think, postpartum anxiety and depression. And I'm 58. And Jack was little and I had a lot of external pressure on how and when to feed him that went against everything I believe, which is just doing it naturally. So I think the stress of all of that is part of it. I also think I'm 58 and my body is just different. I think 20 years ago, had this happened, I would have likely had to supplement with formula. That's what moms did. And a lot of moms still do, and there's nothing wrong with that. But nowadays, if you want to only provide breast milk for your child, there are women everywhere that produce so much milk that are happy to share their milk. And they do, they share it willingly and you don't have to pay for it. You can also do the milk bank, which is a government run agency. And that milk is pasteurized, however, it's not just fresh from the breast to the baby or to the freezer to the baby. That is a huge change for Jack. Molly and Gracie exclusively nursed for almost a year, as did Jack. Jack was much more curious about food than those two. He, anything I'm eating, he wants to eat. He reminds me of Molly this way. Gracie nursed a bit longer exclusively than Molly did. Molly nursed for two and a half years. When we finally said goodbye to Badoot, she called it, she had turned two in April and it was July. It was a long time that she nursed. And so I, I sort of foresee the same for Jack. Right now, the supplementation is primarily in the daytime. He brings bottles, bubbas, we call them, of breast milk, we call it Babadoot, to big boy school. And during the day, when I can't be around, he has milk from Sweet Sweet Kelsey. So that's another family that's there for Jack. I feel like he has all these honorary milk siblings that are close to his age, you know, so he's actually older than the baby there. So that's nice. That's a big piece of Jack's day-to-day life. The only liquid he's had in his 13 months now of life has been breast milk, mine or Kelsey's, a teeny bit of formula, maybe the first six weeks or so of his life, but that's it. That ended as quickly as it started. I had wonderful Jackie's milk as well. That's a piece of Jack's day-to-day life that is very different. And I think it's a good thing. I am such an advocate and proponent for these things. If you're listening and you've never been a mother, but you think you might be, or a father, you know, just keep these things in mind. Tuck them away. So many things to think about, and there's just no right or wrong way. I saw a post on Facebook today about this woman at a pool watching this mother in this beautiful bathing suit take all these pictures of her daughter. Her daughter just wants to play in the pool. Come on, mommy, play with me. And she's just setting up what looks like this perfect play date. Then her daughter's in the pool and she's on her phone, you know, all these things. And, and, but what you'll see when those pictures are posted is this beautiful little play date at the pool. But the little girl was just sort of ignored by the mother. And then you have mothers that can't even get themselves together and take their kids to the pool. So they spray with a hose in the yard and the house is a mess. And you look at those pictures and you think you're a terrible mother. You know, neither mother is terrible. Each mother is doing the best they can. And as you go into parenthood, always, 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 you have to do what's right for you. You know, I'm, I'm not a formula person, but if the idea of breastfeeding is something you can't even put your head around, then don't. You have to be the mother that you have to be. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think that's a bit different for me with Jack. I'm not so rigid on what I think being a good mother means. I think being a good mother, to be a good mother, you have to put your child first. You have to love your child. You have to not hurt your child. And I don't just mean physically hurt. I mean, manipulatively hurt, emotionally hurt, ignore, treat badly, manipulate, use. Child abuse isn't just physical or sexual. It can be so many other things. And I see in my life, I have seen mothers that do not deserve to have their children in my mind. It hurts me sometimes. Anyway, I don't want to get negative about that. So my expectations for Jack, I've talked about this before. 
ultimately I want Jack to be what Jack wants to be. I want, I want to provide what I can for him so that as he grows up, he can do the things he likes. Mostly I want him to know how to work hard. I want him to know how to love the universe. I want him to be able to develop his beliefs. So if he chooses to believe in God, then he's solid in that belief. And if he chooses to believe that there isn't a God, then he's solid in that belief. If he grows up comfortable as a boy, then he's a boy. If he's not sure about his gender, I will support him in his journey to see where that falls for him. I want him to be open to every nationality and religion and skin color and body type and wage earning level. You know, we're all different. And quite frankly, not one person is more valuable on this planet than another. When you come out of your mother's belly, we're all the same. And then we grow up and become very different. What I want for Jack is just, just to be able to handle and manage those differences with grace and to know that he is a good person. So I think when I have expectations for Jack, it would be that, that he understands how to be a good person. Couple of things that are a bit off topic, but not really. Everything in my life relates around to grief and loss and trauma and how that affects me as a mother. Another day-to-day activity that is different with Jack is Kenny participates a lot more now in the doctor's appointments. Back when Molly and Gracie were born, I would schedule the appointments around times I wasn't teaching, or I would take the morning off from work and go, and I would go with my mother. So it'd be my mother, me, and both of the girls, or just me with whoever had the appointment. And Kenny was really absent from that. And he doesn't really remember going to too many doctor's appointments with his older kids because he was busy working all the time. And that typically falls upon the mother in most families. So now when Jack was first born, when the appointments came, Kenny would be like, oh, you want me to go too? Like, yes, he's your child as well. It wasn't that Kenny didn't want to go or felt that he shouldn't have to. He just, it wasn't a part of what he was used to. He hadn't been that active in those things with his other children. He has been to every appointment he was here for. Jack had a couple of appointments, maybe where Kenny was, you know, just not here, maybe visiting or whatever, away for whatever reason. And a couple of times, one or two times I've gone alone and one or two times Kenny's gone alone. And today he had an appointment and I had this busy day and, and Kenny said, well, why don't I just take him? Which was unbelievably a big corner term for Kenny because really these things we typically do together. I wanted to go, it was his one-year appointment and I had some questions and we're heading off. So I wanted to go. That's a huge change for Kenny, being that involved in that infrastructure of Jack, the doctor's appointments and getting in there. Kenny's life is centered around doctors now because of the kidney transplant. So it's not something he's super uncomfortable with anymore. You know, he was one of those people that never went to the doctor. Boy, go if you're not sick. You know, he didn't need to. One more thing that is interesting in Jack's day-to-day life. So Jack turned one on March 20th and he spent his first birthday at Disney. In his 12 months, he had been to Disney one, two, three, four times. <laughs> in 12 months, he visited Disney four separate times at like six weeks, five weeks, actually. When we went down to see Kenny's mother, then at Christmas, then in January, when we dropped off Gracie, and then for his birthday. So four times he's been to Disney. In his first year of life, he went to Utah, got on an airplane. He's now flown to Florida as well as driven. In his first year of life, he's been to like 15 different states, maybe 10. However many states are between here and Florida plus all the New England states. Gracie and Molly didn't leave their house the first year of life. <laughs> you know, they went to Concord, New Hampshire. <laughs> and I think, I don't know that I could have carried him around like that, gotten on an airplane, put him in a car at that age. I think I would have, I think it might've been a bit stressful for me. I remember watching Bethany with her babies at Disney. She just plops him in a carrier and off they go. And she thought nothing of going to Disney, you know, a month and a half after her last baby was born. And at the time, it was a bit mind-boggling for me. And now, now I get it. I think this is a bit different. Jack has done a lot more traveling. But another piece of Jack's reality is the fact that he's Jack. And so he's been on TV and, and people know who he is. We've gone to Utah. We're ha- actually going back to Utah. We're having a second trip to Utah to take some still pictures, some more filming around 
lots of your commercials. So these are experiences that Gracie and Molly, you know, Gracie's coming to Utah this time. It's her first time. She's weeks away from 21. Jack will be his second time. So, you know, these are things that, that are quite different. In closing, I don't think I can talk about having Jack and raising Jack and being Jack's mother without talking about Molly and grief and my job loss and Roy and all the things that, that are such a huge piece of my life. To leave them out is disingenuous. I'll just be honest about these things. But along with all of the resources that my editor sends me, I also am just listening now to a lot of different podcasts. In my MBA, like I've talked about her before. She does a wonderful podcast. She interviews people and she just talks about tricky things. And so she interviewed Nora McInerney and Nora McInerney did a great TED talk on loss. She lost a pregnancy and a husband and a father, all this grief all at once. So I listened to four different, I listened to my Mbialik's podcast. And then I listened also to four other people, Jason Rosenthal, Peter Saul, and Isabel Merritt all talk about loss. So this Isabel is a college student that volunteered at a hospice center. The gist of her conversation was, we don't talk about death. It's the one thing we're all going to do. We don't talk about it. People don't have plans. They don't, they don't know what they're going to do when they die, where they want to be, how they want to die. She volunteered as a teenager in a hospice center, and she talks eloquently about her experiences with these dying people and how much it's taught her about the fact that we need to plan for how we want our last days to be. Peter Salt was similar. He talked in a similar fashion. He talked about losing his wife and hospice again came up and home hospice. Oh, you could die at home and how romantic that sounds to be in your own bed and where you are, but how ugly the physical, actual physical death can be. And he talks about carrying his wife's dead body down the stairs to the stretcher to be taken away and how ugly that was and how awful and he'll never forget it. He has gratitude that he had the opportunity. He didn't have to get a phone call that she had died alone someplace else. He was with her, but they both really spent a lot of time talking about what it was like to say goodbye at that point and to be the end of life and how we have time to think about it. The other conversation was around watching somebody be sick and being able to make plans. And that's where I get really angry. I didn't get a choice. I didn't get the choice in Molly's death at all. I got no choice in any of it. It just happened. I tried and tried to find answers for her and then she was dead. We didn't get to find out she had a tumor. We didn't get to take the tumor out and see what would happen. We didn't get to live three or four more years to see if the tumor came back. We had no say in it. She was gone. The say that we did have was they took it out, hoping that maybe she wasn't really gone. Of course she was. She had died already. We had all this time to say goodbye. We got to unplug her and spend that time together. Removing someone from life support is a unique experience. And I'll do an in-depth episode on that at some point. Her friends got to say goodbye. And we had this amazing funeral. So we had a lot for Molly that we were able to put together with incredible community support. Not everyone has that. In my podcasting and in my sharing of all of it, there are people who are very uncomfortable. A friend of mine that I had not seen for a few months says, I listen. She goes, but I don't know what to say. And I looked at her and I said, why do you think you have to say anything? Just listen. That's the beauty of a podcast is you can listen. You can talk to the air. You can say things out loud that come to mind that you would never say to me. Say to me what you want or say nothing. We're so uncomfortable and, and confused around uncomfortable and confusing topics. Like it's somehow taboo to talk about these things. It just isn't. I have a friend that thinks I should just keep secret so many of my experiences around my you know, use of drugs after death and my alcoholism and my marriage and Roy. And I'm sorry, these, so much of these things are, are just a keystroke away if you Google my name. Why would I hide any of these things when I have the chance to talk to him and explain it and tell it, or not even explain it, just share it and tell it. That's where I find podcasts and listening to them incredibly helpful. 
I listen now with such a different ear. And I think in looking at my ability to mother Jack in a healthy way, our ability for online communication is phenomenal. Podcasts did not exist when Gracie and Molly were little. There are so many that I can listen to now that address everything. I listened to a new one the other night. It's just these two women laughing and chuckling, having a blast, having drinks, talking about, I think they're wedding planners or something like this. It was hilarious. It was 20 minutes of just laughing, <laughs> funny stories and laughing. You know, am I learning anything from that podcast? No, other than how fun it is to get with a friend and make a fun podcast. That's what I get from listening to Libby on her podcast, Okay, Up. It's a great podcast. I'll start to keep track because I think giving other podcasts a shout out, especially podcasts done by women. Not that I'm anti-men, but I just feel <laughs> women are still a half a step behind when it comes to opportunity. And there are so many amazing podcasts out there done by women. It's April 4th. I am flying off to Utah tomorrow to finish the commercial shoot and production and all of this. It's Gracie's birthday. We're off to Disney. And then Gracie comes home because it's, you know, Molly's death. And all of these things are coming up and marching along. By the time you hear this, I'll be that much closer to it. I'll be back from Utah by the time you hear this. Anyway, I want to thank you for listening. I also would love feedback. I'm amazed at the number of people that listen to my podcast that I don't know about it. Obviously, I can't get feedback from everybody. But if you haven't responded or even just let me know you're listening, or if you have ideas and things you'd like me to say, I might do a question answer one sometime where people just, where I just go through questions that people have asked and provide answers to them. I would love to do that. I would love to, at some point, have guests. I think I'll have a season where I have guests, maybe not each week, but, you know, start having guests with some regularity. There are so many people with stories to share. I can help them do that. And that's a wonderful thing. Again, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate, you know, all of it. I appreciate the fact that, you know, I could nurse a baby at age 58 and that I've had great love in my life, even if I've had great loss, that I can raise a baby <laughs> with a sense of humor in a way that I couldn't, and that I have, get to raise a son. I think that's exciting as well. So be good to yourself. Be good to someone else after you've been good to yourself. As they say, put your oxygen on first and then share the oxygen with those around you. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.